Today's passage, reading both out of Samuel and Psalm 57, that is what we will read together, Psalm 57. If you don't have a Bible, the white Bibles in the pew in front of you are our gift to you. I would invite you to open your Bible to Psalm 57, and as you are able to stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of the authority it has over us. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I will await the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ community. My name is Craig Cody. I'm one of the elders here. I'm thankful to be able to open the word of God with you this all with you all this morning. This is week seven in our series through the life of David. And it's, it's quite a doozy. I love it every week. I feel like I'm learning new things all the time and again and again being brought deeper and deeper into David's heart and there seeing the heart of God. Um, this week, well, last week, let's, let's go back and review what we did last week. Last week we discussed Saul's fall into wickedness. Uh, he had distorted truth faithfulness. He brought evil Doeg, if you remember that guy, Doeg, into the evil with him. And then they slid down the slippery slope of sin, leading him to mass murder. They killed that entire city of priests and their families and even the animals that were there. It was a sober warning to us to turn from sin and to run to Jesus, confessing our sin and receiving his grace. David, meanwhile, continues to elude Saul. He's on the run. And the place he runs to escape, and we've talked about this several times, but we've never specifically focused on it, is the wilderness. David ran off into the wilderness, which is our focus this morning. You'll remember that this sermon series is structured around the idea of David and something or someone or some place. Well, today we're someplace. It's David and the wilderness. That's our focus this morning. And before we dive into that, let's pray together. Lord, I, I need you. We need you. 
come and speak to us. Come and give us true food and true drink by your spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been walking through 1 Samuel, right? The historic events, this narrative account of David's life. And these events have led us here to David hiding in the wilderness from Saul. I just want to make this clear right off the bat. This is not David and his homeboys on a backpacking trip. This is not a fun time. This is not some cool terrain they're trying to check out. This isn't some poetic picture from Thoreau's Walden Pond or Annie Dillard's Tinker Creek. This is not some romantic moment for David. David isn't even trying to get in touch uh, with being wild at heart or his primordial manhood. That's not what's going on here. The wilderness is an inhospitable, desolate place. And David came here for that reason, because it was inhospitable and desolate, to find a place where Saul couldn't find him, or maybe even a place where Saul wouldn't dare come after him. So when Israel read this story, thinking about the context that this story was written in and the people who were reading it, And as we read it now, the intent, as we get to these wilderness stories and these wilderness psalms, which is where we're going to be today, the intent for them, for Israel then, and for us now, is to feel the difficulty of that moment. The bleak, dry, lonely, harsh wilderness. So let's just try to put ourselves there. Before we actually dive into Psalm 57, let's just try to wrap our minds for a moment around the wilderness, what it would be like. So imagine yourself, imagine yourself there right now, waking up in a pitch black cave, if you slept at all the night before. the, The type of cave where if you hold your hand in front of your face, you can't even see it. It is ice cold, thick darkness. You barely slept because you are shivering all night long. Your stomach growls. There's no food. You can barely swallow because your throat is so dry. And if you duck outside of the cave, maybe to get some water or to go forage for some food, you risk being seen. And you and everyone who you're with, they're going to be dead. You live meal to meal, no clue where the next food is going to come from. You're in a constant state of anxiety, just racked with fear, fight or flight mode. Your heart is constantly racing, running for your life, fearing for your life. Simple things like staying dry from the rain become matters of life and death. You're constantly hungry, thirsty, and sick. There's no breaks, no rest, no relief. You are so weary. Day after day after day, the weariness it's so heavy it seems to seep down into the deepest parts of who you are that's David's wilderness and that's where we find him as we come to Psalm 57 he's in the wilderness and today we're going to approach David from a different angle in 1 Samuel we have the story of David's life events but with the Psalms the poems and songs that David wrote we have a view into David's heart the heart after God. So before we could dive in, I just want to make one more preface to this. 
I want to recognize that so many of us in this room, maybe everyone in this room, know what wilderness is. Not David's wilderness, your wilderness. The wilderness you've walked through or are currently walking through or will walk through, life has seasons of wilderness. And what do I mean by that? Seasons of spiritual and emotional drought. Seasons of loneliness, of hopelessness, of abandonment. Seasons of barrenness or despair. Of crying until tears dry up in your own eyes. Seasons of feeling like the world is against you. Feeling like an utter failure. Feeling like you're hated by everyone. I have been praying for you. I've been praying for me. I've been praying for us as a church. And I have been pleading with God to build in this church brothers and sisters, saints of the Lord, who do what David does in the wilderness. I want that to be true of me. I want that to be true of you. And that's my prayer, that we would join David in crying out to God while we're in the wilderness. That's what we're going to see in Psalm 57 today. We're going to walk through it together. And through Psalm 57, we're going to see nine things to do when life is hard. Yes, it's a nine-point sermon. Settle in, folks. I'm just kidding. Same amount of time. We're going to hit them hard. We're going to hit them fast. But it's nine things to do when life is hard. Here's the first one. Number one. Cry out to God for mercy. That's verse 1. If you're looking at your Bible again, we're in Psalm 57, starting at verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. This is a prayer of David just after the dramatic event of Saul miraculously walking into the cave where David and his men were hiding. Saul had walked in there to relieve himself. Nature called. There he was. Delivered into his hands, David's men are surrounding him saying, David, can you believe it? Pick up your sword, cut him down, and we're free. Wilderness is done. But what was David's response? He does not strike down Paul, Saul. He does not strike him down. He trusts God. He waits on the Lord. And now we see that he prays. That's the psalm we have in our hand. If you look at the heading in your psalm, it says a psalm of David, when, and, he, and then he specifically references that account. So Psalm 57 is David's prayer on the run, just after Saul came into that cave. And the first thing that David cries out to God is an expression of need. He needs him. Oh God, be merciful to me. David knows that mercy and refuge come from God, not from his own hand. He will not take things into his own hands. So here's the first thing. Sometimes when life presses down, you just want to hide. I get that. I understand that. You want a refuge. So let me ask you this. Jason was talking about it earlier today. When life is hard, what's your refuge? What is your refuge? Do you have struggles in your relationships? Struggles in your marriage, struggles in dating, struggles at work, struggles at home, struggles with health. When things go bad, to what do you turn? God's word is clear to us, brothers and sisters. When life is hard, cry out to God for mercy. 
there are a lot of ways to hide from the difficulties of life, and I'm not even going to try to spell them all out. Just looking at my own life, when day-to-day stuff gets hard, where do I turn? Honestly, this little guy right here, right? Just a quick hit, quick little ESPN check, and I'm out, I'm checking out. We're all exceptional as humans, finding ways to cope poorly with difficult circumstances, whether those difficulties are small or big. Don't be silent. Don't quickly run to something else. Cry out. Cry out to God for mercy. That's the first one. Cry out to God for mercy when things get hard. Number two, trust that God is able to do what he promised. That's verses two and three. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. In the first verse, you'll notice this. This is really important as we walk through this psalm. In the first verse, you'll notice that David was talking directly to God. In this verse, who is David speaking to? Look at it. Who is he talking to? I cry out to God most high. So he's not talking to God. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the people who would use this psalm to worship God. He's talking to Israel. And he's talking to us. He's telling us what he's doing. And what is he doing? He tells us, I've just prayed and sought God. I've sought God for refuge and mercy because he will do what he promised to do. He promised to save me from my difficulties and show me his never-failing love. He's able to do that. This last Wednesday at our house, we had a prayer meeting at our house we do almost every Wednesday. We'd love for you guys to come. There's a little plug. During that time, we prayed for various things, um, including our community and some of the big things that are going down in the schools in our community right now. And in general, as we get into community life, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with the feeling that, man, everything is broken. Our schools are so broken. Life is so broken. Families are so broken. broken. And as we pray, you just leave with the feeling of, and this is me, I leave with the feeling, man, do my prayers even matter? Is God even going to do anything? Can he even do anything? The problems maybe are just too big. Guess what? That is not God's problem. That is my problem. When I think that way, that the problems are just too big, the world is so broken, that is not God's problem. That is my problem. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who spread wide the Red Sea so Israel could walk through, the God who conquered cities with trumpets, the God who defeated Israel's greatest enemy with a small, forgotten shepherd boy, the God who rose Jesus from the dead will do as he pleases. David is teaching us, I cry out to him, Because he is able. Believe it. Hear that. Hear that, brothers and sisters. Believe it. Fight to believe that. He is able. Number three, cry out with honesty. Cry out with honesty. This is verse four. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. 
And the verse goes on. In verse 4, David tells us why he's praying. Why is he praying? And he tells us honestly, his soul, the deepest part of who he is, feels surrounded. There's no escape. He's overwhelmed, and he sees no way out. That's real. And it's amazing. Think about that for just one second with me. David is the future king of Israel. He's, if anybody, if there's anybody who is supposed to be strong and tough and have all the answers and have everything together, show no weaknesses, it's got to be him. He's, he's the little Messiah, remember? He's the one being used by God to conquer God's enemies. He can't, he can't show weakness. Yet he tells us, I was surrounded. No escape. I'm at the end of myself. David honestly felt the pain of the struggle, and he honestly shared it. He didn't hide it. He didn't deny it. He didn't push it away. He didn't relativize it. That's really not that big of a deal. He sat in it. He felt it, and he was honest about it. So let me ask you, are you honest about your wilderness? Are you honest about what's hard in your own life? Feel it. It is truly hard. And share it. I want us to be real and sturdy Christians, allowing ourselves to feel what really hurts and sharing that with others is not the path to emotional fragility. It's the path to authentic, fully human pursuit of God. Brothers and sisters, real life is filled with pain and suffering. Can we just be honest with each other about that? Just be real. I can't help but think of social media as I talk about this, right? And that hamster wheel of madness that we all have jumped on at different points, I get it, trying to portray that picture-perfect life where everything is just so perfect, so good. Look at how happy everything is. But it's a lie, and we all know it. If that's the life that you seek, the life you think other people live on Instagram or Facebook, if you think that that's real, you're tricked. It's a lie. It is a lie. Real life is a series of real joys and real sorrows, all intermingled together. And through it all, through it all, Christian, through it all, person who has yet to trust in Christ, know this, a stream of grace flows from heaven, bringing you toward your true life, life through Jesus life with him. That's number three. Number four, call on God to establish his kingdom. This is verse five. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. In verse five, David does something unexpected. If you're you're tracking with the flow of the psalm, it's kind of an abrupt, almost jolting, jarring statement. David's speaking again with God, right? Be exalted, O God. And instead of calling for God to destroy Saul and all of his enemies, 
David says this, cause your glory to go global. What? Is he like starting a missions agency? What is he doing? Why does he say that right in the middle of this song? It's because David knows that what really needs to happen here is God come and set up his perfect kingdom on earth. In the midst of intense hardship, David looks through some very real pain and suffering, the wilderness that he's in in that moment, and asks God to end all pain, all suffering, all wilderness, and usher in the kingdom of no sorrow and no tears and where everyone has a home. So what does this mean for us? Well, let me ask you, are you in physical pain? Are you suffering? Are you sorrowful? Are there hard things in your life? Are there things that you've missed out on? Or were you left out at school or at work or at home? Are you in a dark night of the soul where God feels so distant? Well, yes, pray for your current circumstances. But in the pain, join David in praising God for what he's going to do. Jesus is coming back. He's going to set right every wrong, every sorrow, ache, pain, darkness, loneliness, undone. And that's why we can sing songs and why we pray through the pain, things like this. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall appear. Even so, it is well with my soul. That's number four. Number five, vulnerably trust in God. Verse six, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. David is telling us with even greater vulnerability what's happening in his heart. His soul is bowed down. In the midst of the honest pain, David makes a confession about God. God is judging my enemies. The pit they made for me, they fell into it. God is at work. So in your wilderness days, in your wilderness days, yes, be honest in your feelings about what's going on here in your heart, but don't forget to also be honest about the work that he's going to do. Sometimes the waves of life come crashing down over us again and again so that you can hardly catch your breath. In those days, as you're honest about what's hard, be honest about this. He's still at work. He's still at work here. Number six, tell God what's true of yourself. Tell God what's true of yourself. Verse seven, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will, make, I will sing and make melody. David again is talking directly to God. And he tells God what's true about what? About his own heart and what he's going to do. David is almost prophesying about himself. He's saying, this is true. This is what I'm going to do. So, friends, let me invite you to prophesy. Prophesy. I'm not talking about telling the future to yourself or about yourself or to somebody else for that matter. I'm telling you, do what David did. Tell yourself what's true based on God's promises. 
Receive the promises that, that God has given to you and pray back to him that you trust him that he's going to do it. So let me just give you an example of that. It would look like, oh God, my heart is yours. No other power or influence or love or anything will stand in my way of loving you. Now, if that's my prayer, is that true of me right now? Is it told? Do I have a completely undivided heart? Well, no. But based on God's promises, on his word about me and about his desires for me, I'm praying to myself, God, do that in me. This is what's true of me. Lord, make that true in me. I'm trusting God to do what he's already promised in his word. So number seven, command yourself to praise. Oh, this is a good one, friends. Command yourself to praise. Look at verse eight. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. David now is talking to David. David is talking to David with force. Wake up. Get my whole being up. That's what, awake my glory. My glory means my whole being, all that I have. I'm going to get my musical instruments. I'm going to wake up the neighborhood. Or probably even more likely, I'm going to praise in the dark until the light comes. I'm going to praise in the sunrise. Have anybody... Have any of you in here been to uh, the Black Chorus concerts that they have here on campus? Anybody? Yeah, I got a couple people. All right. If you haven't, I'd highly recommend it. It's, it's awesome. My wife, Darcy, and I were actually in the Black Chorus as students. I know. I don't belong here. <laughs> I was the one white male at the time, and the awesome director, uh, Dr. Ollie Watts-Davis put me in the dead center front row, right there, so that the one guy who couldn't clap and sway was hidden by her body, right there in the middle. While we were in the choir, we had someone that was part of the choir called a hype man. You guys know what a hype man is? Yeah, all right. It's kind of like that. We would sing the song, we would sing the songs, and we'd sing something like, God is great, you know. And then the hype man in the little break there between the words would shout something like, he is great. Or like, everyone clap your hands. And then he'd be like, get your hands up in the air. You know, something like that. Hyping everyone up, commanding them to respond to the words that were being sung. This is David's hype man moment. David's the hype man. He wants you up. He wants you moving. He wants a response. But as we read this, who is the hype man? It's you. You're the hype man for you. Sometimes wilderness can be emotionally and spiritually decapitating. I use that word seriously. It feels like you're dead. I've been there. Getting out of bed in the morning, doing anything can feel more than we can take. Friends, the word of God is clear here to us. Stop trusting yourself and start trusting the word of God. Some of us really need to hear this today. 
I'm not minimizing the difficulty in our lives, but there's a point where you need to say to yourself, where all of us needs to say to ourselves, God's word says he reigns. No matter what I feel right now, his word is what I believe. You take yourself to task. You take yourself in your hand. And you stop passively taking every blow from your, that your sinful self gives you. The classic on this is Martin Lloyd-Jones' Spiritual Depression. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is just one quick sentence. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That is exactly what's happening here in Psalm 57. David is talking to himself. He's commanding himself. Brothers and sisters, Talk to yourself. Command yourself. Heart, praise him. All my being, praise him. Wake up. Get moving. No self-pity. Up and out and outside of myself into him. I'm going to praise until the sun rises. And it will. It will. Number eight. Praise God because the kingdom is coming. Verses 9 and 10, if you want to look at it. David is again praising God directly. But where is David singing now? He's among the nations, singing of God's never-failing love among all peoples. And not just David, all of God's people from all over the world joining together, joining together to sing of him. How? When? How is this even going to happen? It will happen when God's kingdom comes on the earth. And we see that in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. It says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All of history is hurtling toward that great day. It will happen. Picture that. You, if you have trusted in Christ, you will be among that number, standing there before Jesus with more than can be counted people from every nation. That will happen. And that is why on our darkest days, we pray, oh God, we know you will do it. Our hope is set on that great day. We give thanks to you that in that great group of worshipers, we will praise your love, Jesus, that overcame every obstacle to save me. That hope is an anchor to the soul in the darkest of days. The kingdom is coming and he will do it. And then finally, number nine. We go back. This is the chorus of the psalm. This is the second time. Verse five, verse 11, same verse. Call on God to establish his kingdom. If you look at verse five and 11, you'll see it's the same one. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David concludes by again calling on God to do what he promised, to bring the kingdom, God's glory among us, cause praise to rise from all nations, turn faith to sight. 
Brothers and sisters, as you walk through the wilderness, remember this. The God who is walking with you through it all is immeasurably great. His glory will be global. So great that every, every people will praise him. He promises that and it will happen. How do we know? How do we know that it's going to happen? Because God keeps his promises. Again and again throughout the history of Israel, God promised a great Messiah. One sent by God to rescue his people from everything. From every sin. From every sickness. From every sorrow. One far greater than David. And not a conquering war hero, but a suffering servant Messiah who would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. And that Messiah, Jesus, he came to fulfill every promise God made to his people and open the door to his eternal kingdom by dying on the cross and rising from the dead that all who trust in him, all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins would be part of his forever kingdom. Friends, Jesus is coming back. He may come back at any moment. He may come back today. He's going to come back and set up that kingdom forever. He will do it. Come now, found this precious verse. On that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass. For I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. Let's pray. Oh God, we are crying out now to you for mercy. Come and do what you promised you would do. In Jesus' name, amen.